0: Now what emerges out of the measuring of the house of God, measuring the naos of the temple, measuring the altar, uh, measuring those who worship there, what emerges out of it is a codification of its maturity and ability to represent the Lord. It's depicted as two witnesses. So what we want to do is to look closely at the compendium of the characteristics of these two witnesses. In other words, God always sends two witnesses. He sent the disciples out two by two, He speaks of the water and the word as bearing witness, but what is the emergent witness? What witness emerges out of the measurement of the house of God. In other words, as he measures the house of God, it's judged to be perfect because God Himself has built the house. What has God built? So instead of thinking about two humans or two personages, one should see that in the manner of God sending a reliable testimony, in the manner of God sending a reliable testimony, the reference is to two witnesses. What then are the characteristics that would identify these two witnesses as representing the compendium, the the two strains, if you like, the two things that testify as to the level of maturity that has been attained. If this is a man in the image and likeness of God, when Jesus came, He is the type of this and He Himself said that His witness or His testimony was both what He said and what the Father who sent Him said. And He said that the Father who sent Him bore witness of Him being the sent One. Now at the baptism of Jesus in the river Jordan, there was actually the appearing of the divine witnesses, the Spirit and the Father. Spirit descended on Him in the form of a dove, the Father testified as to who He was and Jesus would re- refer back to that whenever He was challenged or questioned by the Jews and principally the religious leaders of the Jews at the time. And he would say, I have no need for your affirmation of me because the one who has sent me has testified concerning me. The works I do, he said, and the words I speak, they're not my own. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So his point is if you don't believe what I actually say, at least believe me for the works that I do because the works I do testify as to who I am." Okay, So that's the nature that is behind the two witnesses. And it's important for us then to understand who the two witnesses are and they appear in duplicate, two and two there are two olive trees and two lampstands. So the repeating function of the two testifying is for the purpose of authenticating that word. So the Scriptures even say, "...where two agree as touching a matter, it shall be so." (laughs) Now again, children, The understanding of children as we're in the matter of where to agree as touching a matter has been, uh, in our experience, has been having somebody come up and say to you, I want you to agree with me about this thing so that God will do this thing for me because you and I are in agreement. That's how children act with Scripture. When he talks about two agreeing, he's speaking about two independently confirming the matter to be so. So, to solicit agreement, you're going to find somebody who will agree with you. But the litmus test is whether or not what you agree upon will ever come to pass, and that's why most things that people uh, agree upon don't come to pass because it's sentimental. They're they're operating on the basis of sentimentality as opposed to the independent testimony of the Holy Spirit. I don't care about people agreeing with me, I don't solicit anybody agreeing with me, but I welcome independent confirmation because I'm not a fool. I can use my influence to get people to agree with me but when it shakes out i will have made a fool out of another as i myself am a fool for soliciting the patronage of somebody else and mistaking that for divine agreement <laughs> you know there's no there's really not much that 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 you can't understand i mean the folly of children the church has largely been like children. What did Jesus say? Whereunto shall I liken this generation? And unto what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their fellows and saying, I've piped unto you, you haven't danced, I've mourned, you haven't lamented, which is the language of manipulation, making somebody feel guilty That they didn't agree with you. But that's the sort of agreement that is routinely passed off for the Word of God, and that's why it doesn't work. That's why it falls flat. You know, if you can agree together and make it happen, you've done it. But if your agreement is with the Holy Spirit, and that independently, independent of each other, independent of sentiment, Then those are the confirming words that are worth something. Everything else is just garbage and trash. And, And you know, I'm telling you it as plainly as I can, because this is not a time for the sound of soothsaying. The diet has been rich, the spiritual prophetic diet has been rich with soothsaying and it's made the people of God sick at the stomach and their health is in jeopardy. Now this this is a time for the separating out, this is a time, quite literally, when we'll begin to see the great falling away. God is done with this narcissistic, self-indulgent gospel and He will say, "...let the wicked be wicked still, and let the righteous be righteous still." Or, "...away from Me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you." Yes, we're about to face that God because this is the time when He will not treat children as adults and He will not coddle the closet wickedness of deceitful schemings, nor will He coddle those who have been deceived because they followed according to their own lust. This is the stark message that says, if you're in that condition, you'd better wake up now because the house is being shown and to the house and there are two witnesses that have arisen in the earth the Gentiles will be rampaging at the same time, they'll trample underfoot, they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So while Jesus lived on the earth and represented the Father, in the compendium of the Spirit of God and the word of the Father, and acts of the Father. The unbelievers, although they were Jews, they were unbelievers. It's a reference to how they made the temple into a den of thieves and were no better, even though the temple had been given to them, they were no better than the Gentiles, which is In this connotation and in this context, heathen or unbelieving. At the same time, God says, I will empower my two witnesses for the same time period, and they will prophesy, which is, they will authentically represent Christ. This compendium of belief, this measured and judged. People of God will exhibit two characteristics for the same period that the false church, the unbelievers on the temple grounds, the unbelievers in proximity to the to the, to the real house of God, in that time there will be this conflict. It's significant to note that fire will come out of their mouths, fire will come out of their mouths. What what normally comes out of a person's mouth? Not what you put into your mouth, but what normally comes out of a person's mouth? Words. So the words of God, that will come out from the two witnesses will be that which scorches the earth. In short, it will represent a return to the uncompromised truth that God had been working on and developing throughout the ages. And the reason it is described as two witnesses and words coming out of their mouths. It's the picture of the incarnate where the heavenly dwells in the natural and when it comes out it has the effect of the heavenly in the natural. So it's important to understand, that's why, for example, that it devours their enemies. In short, just like these words that are being said now, these very words I'm speaking, this is just an example, I'm not uh, not going beyond that. How easy it is to describe the folly and the deception and uh, the, the, the narcissism and the lustful, attitudes and characteristics of both preachers and followers al- alike. How easy it is to describe those things. And when you describe these things, it's like the fig leaves fall off. But will people repent when, when, when they've been disclosed or unclothed in this fashion? No, not really. I fully expect that I will get an enormous blowback from people who simply want to hear what they what they want to hear, and frankly, I don't care that they want to hear. I don't care about what they want to hear. I play for an audience of one, and if he's pleased, then I've done my I've done what I'm here to do. The rest of it, I don't care. I don't care, it's not important to me whether anybody agrees with me or not. I'm especially unimpressed when those who oppose me are of the very type that I'm describing, who live for their lust and their pleasure. I am not a teacher to be bought like so many who might be bought, from a multitude that is heaping to themselves teachers for whatever they lust for. What I'm saying is not a compendium of fables, I'm revealing the things that were spoken, things that have been in the heart of God to be disclosed in this time. And I'll keep doing it for as long as He allows me to do so when it's done, I'm done. So no, I don't, I don't care at all how it's heard, that's up to the Lord to decide and it, but it offers hope. I'm not in an argument for popularity, that's what I mean, I'm not trying to persuade people to anything. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear, but if they cannot hear and they cannot see, then the Word judges them. Jesus Himself said, He who rejected Me and receiveth not My words has one who judges him. The words I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The two witnesses then, they're typified by two olive trees, oh oh by the way, they'll prophesy and witness in sackcloth. That tells us something of the substance of their prophesying. When did the prophets of old prophesy in sackcloth? Usually it said, sackcloth and ashes. When did they prophesy in sackcloth? When they were announcing glorious things? When they were announcing that the glory of God has come amongst the people? Is sackcloth and ashes the appropriate attire for a feast or a time of celebration? Is it what the prophets dressed in? No, no it's when the picture was one of how dire and extreme the departure from God had become among the people. It's the last ditch effort to appeal to the people to come out of their aberrant ways. That's when sackcloth is the appropriate attire and you also put ashes on your head. It's a visual picture of a beggarly people whose house is on fire and things are dire and desperate. So if the naos of God, if the house of God, having been judged and authenticated, has a word for the Gentiles, for the unbelievers among them. That word is the strictest word of repentance related to the fact that you've run out of time. God is about to conclude the age, to summarize everything and this is the last call to those who are occupying the place of the Gentiles. Occupying the position associated with unbelief, but in proximity to the people of God. So, this is a message of a last call. Who then, what then, are the characteristics of the two olive trees and the two lampstands? I'd like for you to go with me to the book. You know, it's funny how these things are so prevalent, so represented in the scriptures. So I want to take you back here momentarily, but I'll I'll just—I want to check my reference before I do. So, Zechariah, chapter four, the book of Zechariah, chapter four. it's right after Haggai, chapter 4. And once again it's amazing, I started in chapter 4 and I want to go to chapter 6 as well. Now the angel who talked with me, Zechariah is speaking, the prophet Zechariah is speaking, now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, "'What do you see?' So I said, "'I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold "'with a bowl on top of it, "'and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes, to the seven lamps, two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left of the bowl. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me and said, "'What are these, my Lord?' And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. "'Who are you, O great mountain?' "'Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain,' "'and he shall bring forth the capstone,' "'to shouts of, "'Grace, grace to it!' Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, "'The hands of Zerubbabel have laid "'the foundation of the temple,' his hands will also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, "'What are these two olive trees "'at the right and on the left of the lampstand?' And I further answered and said to him, "'What are these two olive branches "'that drip into the receptacles of the gold pipes "'for which the golden oil drains?' Then he answered and said to me, "'Do you not know what these are?' And I said, "'No, my Lord,' he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Now, go over with me to chapter 6, I want to try and get this in. I want to start reading from verse 9 of chapter 6, of Zechariah because it's about uh, the the witnesses. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Receive the gifts from the captives um, who have come from Babylon and go the same day and enter into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, "'Take the silver and gold and make an elaborate crown "'and set it on the head of Joshua,'' the Old Testament name of Jesus by the way, "'set it on the head of Joshua the son of Jehozadak,' the high priest. "'Then speak to him, saying, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts,' saying, "'Behold the man whose name is the branch,' which is the term for the rod, for his place, the man whose name is for his place from his place, he will branch out. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he will build the temple of the Lord. Two two references, by the way, same thing. He will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, this is verily, verily. He will build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and will sit and rule on His throne. So He will be a priest on His throne. What is that? A royal priesthood. If you're sitting on a throne you're a king but if you're sitting on the throne as a priest you're a royal priesthood. Well that goes perfectly with making a crown of silver and gold and giving it to the priest whose name is Jesus. If you made a crown of gold you would give it to the king and that would have been zerubbabel But it's the crown of silver and gold was given to the high priest the son of the high priest Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord and names the son of Zephaniah even those from afar will come and build the temple of the Lord that you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me and this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the word of the Lord." My goodness, that's the spirit of the two witnesses, the kingly priesthood, those who rule on behalf of the Lord but rule as the Elohim of God, the magistrates of God. Because what they do and what they say will be underwritten by the power of God. And note, they've come to establish and build upon the cornerstone that was returned to its place upon which the temple was built in the days of the, repla- of the replaced temple. My point is that in the heart of the restoration of Israel out of Babylonian captivity, the prophecy and the symbolic reference to the two witnesses and the crown of silver and gold is about restoring the royal priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. So the testimony of the two, the two olive trees, the two, the two lampstands, They're about the light and about the anointing. They're about those who carry the Spirit of God and whose words come forth by the Spirit of God and bring light, for your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Spirit of God always hovers over the surface of the waters. So there's always a relationship between the authentic Word of God, the incarnate Word of God and those who are led by the Spirit of God. So I don't see two individuals here, I see the witness of the king and the priest because that can only come about in the restored temple of the Lord which glorifies Yeshua or Joshua in the Old Testament who is Christ in the New Testament. the two witnesses represent the perfect incarnation in a body of people of the Lord Jesus Christ, the High Priest in the order of Melchizedek because we are not minor priest under the High Priest, this is about Jesus as the witness, but we are not minor priest under the High Priest, we are the body of the High Priest We are not minor kings under the king of kings, we are the body of the king. The world will have to deal with us the same as they had to deal with Christ. That's why the parallels between Christ and His ministry for 42 months, opposed by unbelievers among the Jews and us the naos of God, certified to measure up to the rod that came out of the stump of Jesse, approved as the the naos of God, approved as those under the altar of God, approved as divine worshipers, coming forth at the time when the house of God is tread upon by Gentiles by unbelievers in the house of God. It's the beginning of that which will the beginning of the separation that forces the disclosure of the harlot in chapter 17. This is the beginning of that process. We'll keep our eyes on that. It's the essence of what is in the two witnesses is that they operate from the authority of God's throne with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So they're kings and priests, that's the final witness. And when that measure comes, there's nowhere for the unrighteous and the unbelieving and the lawless to hide, whether in the church, or in the temple grounds or in the world. And then we will see the beast then rising up out of the abyss because now he can't operate behind the mask of false brethren because even the false brethren have been revealed. Now he has to come and there's a bare knuckle fight Now we know Jesus Himself was crucified and there is a sense in which there is a crucifying and death, but three days later there is resurrection and with it always comes the wrath of God. Upon the ascension of Jesus to heaven, 40 years later, those who killed Him experience destruction of their city. It's a parallel in Scripture. These are parables that are being disclosed in our time because these are the times. But if you know what is going to happen and if what you know is going to happen is the victory that has been promised all along then gird up your loins, as the Scriptures would say. Get ready because this was why you were created, and it's why you were signed to this time in history. God determined when you should live, God determined where you should live. And the greater the oppression and opposition, the greater the opportunity for your face to reflect the glory of Christ who is your life and who is appearing as Himself in the fullness of what was meant to be brought forth when the age was consumed, the fullness of that. Grace and peace be with you.